We'll be looking at the first few verses to introduce our lesson this morning. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The question I want to ask this morning, does it matter what someone believes? Is honesty and sincerity all that really matters? I've often heard people say, it doesn't matter what people believe as long as they're honest and sincere. And I would even think that there are some church members, members of the body of Christ that have that same opinion of those that are out there that are trying to serve God. But is that statement true? Does it matter what we believe? Is honesty and sincerity all that matters? Well, I believe that the Bible shows us that there are more things that we need to do besides being honest and sincere. I realize that it is important that we be sincere when we worship God, that we be sincere and honest in the life that we live in service to Him, but it also follows that being honest and sincere is not the only criteria for being right in the sight of our Lord. And so we want to look at a few examples this morning that help us in that area to allow the Bible to answer that question for us. Because that's really what we're going to be judged by in the end. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. So when we stand on that great judgment day, we're going to answer for our life in comparison to the Word of God. Not our opinion, not what we believe, not what we feel, but what the Bible teaches. And so it's very important that we look to the Bible to find the answer to that question. So if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 12 and chapter 13, because that's what we want to look at in our first example. And we're not going to read very many verses there, but we're going to read a few. But God's Word there, we find that the, the uh, tribes of Israel had been divided. There were ten tribes that were in the northern kingdom and two tribes that were in the southern kingdom. The ten tribes that had rebelled were under the leadership of Jeroboam. Jeroboam had solved the danger of people going back to Jerusalem to worship. That's where God said that they had to go, or He expected them to go in order to worship Him in an acceptable way. And so Jeroboam set up different places in his kingdom for people to worship, and that was in Dan and Bethel. Basically, up in the upper part and down in the lower part, so that people would have a convenient place to go and worship God. The only problem with that was that God said Jerusalem, and that's where they were supposed to go. And they were going, they'd set up something different than what God had said. He also allowed priests from tribes other than Levi. We know that the Bible teaches, we find different things that Moses said, that the tribes of Levi were the, the ones that God had chosen to be priests and to lead in the worship of God's people. They had that responsibility. But again, Jeroboam decided that anyone or different people besides the Levites could be priests. Now, you may look at that and say, well, what difference does that make? The difference is God said to Levites and Jeroboam is saying someone else. So who do you want to believe? Does it matter? Well, we also know that Jeroboam changed the feast days. 
made changes in all of those areas, and thus Jeroboam polluted the worship of God's people. God chose a prophet from Judah to cry out against the altars that Jeroboam had set up and the illegal priesthood. That prophet that God had chosen to take that message to Jeroboam, he was not to eat nor drink with those in the northern kingdom. He was to go one way and return a different way. The prophet completed his mission. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou give me half thy king, thy house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now here's the question. Did this young prophet realize and know what God had commanded him to do? I believe that in this passage of Scripture we find evidence that this young prophet knew what God required out of him. He knew that the Lord had given him specific instructions on what he needed to do. Was he to violate those things? Was he allowed to change those things at any whim? Do whatever he wanted? Well, this way, I came this way. It was a safe way. It was a convenient way. Easy travel. I'm going to go back the same way. He didn't have that option. He was told by God what exactly he needed to do. And so there was an old prophet in that, in that country. And that old prophet sent word to the young prophet. And this is what he said in 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse 18. I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back unto thee into thy house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. Now, when I've talked about this before on other occasions, people come up with me, come up to me and say, Why would the old prophet lie? I don't know why the old prophet would lie. Why do people lie today when it comes to God's word? Why do people read specifically what God's Word says? And it's very plain. It's very hard to misunderstand, but yet they will say, oh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to obey that command. When Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, do we have to do that? Or can we pray this sinner's prayer and, and be saved? Are we supposed to do what God says do? The old prophet lied. And people lie today when it comes to God's Word. That young prophet accepted the invitation from that old prophet and listened to the voice of that old prophet and went home with him and he ate. And the Bible tells us that when he left, that there was a great consequence that he had to pay for his disobedience. He was slain by a lion and he was left by the wayside. The question that I have, was the young prophet sincere? When he accepted the old prophet's message, was he sincere? Was he honest? Did he really believe that God had spoken to that older prophet? I don't know anyone that questioned his sincerity or his honesty. Why was God so severe? Especially when it was an honest mistake. 
especially if he thought that he was doing what God had told him to do. How was he to know that that old prophet lied to him? You might ask that question today. People believe a lie. How are they to know the truth? How do they know what they're supposed to do? If someone is telling them to do something, and I've had people say, well, my pastor says, or, or, or my priest says, is it contrary to God's Word? Well, I don't know, but they should know. That's why the Bible tells us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. That's why we're to read to understand what God wants us to do. We live in a time where we're very privileged to have God's Word at our disposal, readily available. We can find it in easier to read languages, but yet we still want to have someone just feed us what they think is God's Word. I want people to study. I want people to read along. I want people to understand what we're talking about. Surely this young prophet's conscience was clear on that matter. I'm sure that he was honest and sincere, that he believed that old prophet when he said that an angel of the Lord had spoke to him. As important as honesty and sincerity are, they will not excuse one from being wrong. Why should that young prophet have ignored the old prophet? Because he had received the word of the Lord himself and he knew what was required of him. He knew what he was supposed to do and he trusted someone else. Not only must we be sincere, one must also be right in the things that they do. The young prophet disobeyed a direct commandment from the Lord and because of that, he suffered the consequences. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. He also tells us that if we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. And so when we find something that's taught that's contrary to God's Word, and sometimes that's hard to discern without deep study. Sometimes you have to study hard because sometimes false teachers are very clever in their teachings. But we have to study God's Word to know what God wants us to do. That young prophet suffered the consequences, and unfortunately, many are going to suffer the consequences on the Day of Judgment because they have believed a lie. Will God permit a person to believe a lie and not be punished? Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, the truth was available. They didn't want to accept the truth, they didn't have a love for the truth. And so, therefore, what happens? Verse 11, And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned unto believe, who believed not the truth, but had pleasures in unrighteousness. In other words, the truth is available. The truth is there. And if you want to believe the lie, 
God's going to allow that to happen. God made us free moral agents, and He also gave us the intelligence to study His Word to know the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, there are many lies being believed in the religious world today. There are many who are honest and sincere that believe those lies. But being honest and sincere will not excuse them. We must also be right. We must do what is right. You see, man's ideas and thoughts are not sufficient. The Bible warns us in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can listen to some of these false ideals that are out there. They sound good. They sound promising. They sound secure. Once saved, always saved sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But is that what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches us that we can be lost after we've obeyed the Gospel. And it's not because we were never saved to begin with. We find examples where people were saved, but yet they were in a lost condition afterwards. Simon the sorcerer was one of those individuals. And we can see where we once have obeyed the Gospel or escaped the pollutions of the world gotten out of that sinful condition, and it talks about like a, a, a sow returning to wallowing in the marrow, mar, or the dog returning to his vomit. That's the picture that we see of someone who has escaped the sinful conditions of this world by being baptized into Christ and then going back into those situations. So the Bible shows us that we can be lost after we're saved. We can go back into the world. And so, it sounds good, but the Bible shows us that it's not true. The same is true with praying a sinner's prayer. You don't find that in the New Testament. We find what Jesus says that we must do in order to be saved. John chapter 4, verse 24, "...now is the Spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth." John chapter 17, verse 17, "...sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth." You see, our worship must be in harmony with the truth of God's Word. It doesn't, or does it sound like it makes a difference what one believes or does when we read what the Bible teaches and we see examples in the Old Testament and we see examples in the New Testament? I ask you, if, if it, whatever you want to do is all that matters, as long as you're honest and sincere. Why did Paul write two letters to the church at Corinth? Why wasn't it okay for them to just continue doing what they were doing? Why did they need to be straightened out and reminded of what was right and what was wrong? No matter how sincere and honest one might be, unless our worship is founded upon the revealed truth of God's Word, it is vain and useless. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, But in vain do they worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so we, we should be able to give an answer to every man who asketh us for a reason for the hope that is in us. We should be able to answer any question as to why we practice what we practice. Why don't we have instruments? Why don't we have choruses? Why don't we have uh, one person stand up and just sing? 
Why don't we entertain? Why don't we do those things? Because we don't find authority in the New Testament. Let's look at another example of honesty and sincerity. When we first see the man named Saul of Tarsus, he was persecuting the children of God. In fact, he was consenting to the death of the saints. And when we first read about him, he's there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen to death. In Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we can see the death of Stephen, but we also see the persecution that took place in the church. And the Bible talks about Paul made havoc of the church. He went around trying to destroy God's people. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we can see where he was desiring letters to persecute people. We know from his own words that he compelled people to blaspheme the name of God. Hear him in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1 when he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Listen to what he says over in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commissioned from the chief priest. I ask you, do you think Paul was sincere? Saul of Tarsus was sincere while he was doing those things? Do you think that he honestly believed that he was doing God's work while he was persecuting Christians? He makes the statement that he lived in all good conscience up to that period of time. When he's given that statement about his life. But would you say that Paul was pleasing unto God? Would he have been saved in that condition? Or would he have been lost? He was honest. He was sincere. He thought that he was doing what was right. Who would not affirm that compelling Christians to blaspheme, persecuting those who confess their faith, was harmful to God? Yet he was sincere and honest, but he was sincerely wrong. Had Saul continued that path, no doubt he would have been lost. This same Saul was told by Ananias in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Saul needed to realize that his sincerity, his honesty would not save him. He had to obey the Word of the Lord. 
Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Saul was told the same thing. John chapter 9 or 8 and verse 32, and ye shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Not your opinion, not what you feel is good, not what you would like, not what you would want it to say. The truth. God's word is truth. Another example is found in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we find a man by the name of Cornelius, the centurion. But he was a good man. The Bible tells us that he was good. He was devout. He was sincere. He was honest. He prayed often. He gave alms to the poor. He did a lot of good things. And yet, with all those good qualities, he was told to send for Peter, who would tell him words whereby he should be saved, thou and thy house, according to Acts chapter 11 and verse 14. When we're first introduced to Cornelius, remember what the Bible says about it. This is the Bible telling us this, so it's true. It's not something made up. He had a very good reputation. He was devout. He prayed often. He gave much alms to the poor. Did a lot of good things. When you're first introduced to Cornelius, would you say that he was saved or lost? Most people would look at Cornelius and say he was probably saved. But God's Word says that he was lost. Lost because Peter was to tell him words whereby he might be saved. So here we have a good man, a praying man, a sincere man, yet a lost man. To his credit, when he heard what the Holy Spirit demanded or commanded him to do, he responded by being baptized into Christ. He heard that Gospel message. You see, it's the Gospel that makes people free. Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16, we find there where Jesus tells His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. What were they to believe? They were to believe the Gospel. They needed to hear the message, the good news. That word gospel means good news. And that's the foundation of what we believe. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, we find there that Paul tells us that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That gospel has power to save our souls. And that's why Jesus said to go preach that gospel, that good news, to the world. And those that believe that message and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't will be lost. Sincerity does not save us alone. But the Bible tells us what the gospel is. How do I obey the Gospel? What is the Gospel? Jesus said, go into the world and preach the Gospel. What is that Gospel? I don't have to come up with a definition. The Bible tells me what the Gospel is. Turn your Bible over to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I've highlighted part of it on the, on the, on the screen. But 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the Gospel. 
which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherewith ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture. That's what the Gospel is. The Gospel is that message that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. That's the good news. We need to hear that good news. We need to take that message out to the world. People need to hear that Jesus died for their sins and that that is what makes us free. He died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. All of that is important. Sincerity will not set us free. Honesty does not make us free. Being conscientious does not make us free. It is obedience to that good news, that message, that gospel, which makes one free. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. And there we can see a picture of what baptism represents. On the screen, we have it highlighted or I have things underlined and darkened. That's not the way it is in the Bible, obviously. But listen to what it says in those Scriptures. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, what is the Gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And right there, Jesus died on the cross, He was laid in the tomb, and He rose from the grave. So we see that. Now, what does baptism represent? Over here we see, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we, we die to sin. And if you look at the context, that's what Paul's talking about. We die to sin, we're buried, and we rise victorious over the grave. And so Paul reemphasizes it, for if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. That old man of sin is crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So we reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ when we are buried with our Lord in baptism. And so to say that baptism is not essential to salvation seems like people just want to totally ignore what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that might not be a convenient truth for a lot of people. Because there's a lot of people out there in the religious world that will say baptism is not essential. And I'll hear people that will say, our way of doing it today is to do it this way. Something different than what Jesus said that we are to pray this prayer or we got to go do something good. Whatever it is, Jesus said that we need to obey the Gospel. Hear that Gospel and obey it. 
And that is how we hear it and obey it. It represents the death, burial, and the resurrection. And so when we go down into the watery grave of baptism, it's that point where we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. So is sincerity important? Is honesty important? Indeed, they are essential. It is essential that when I perform that act, when I go through that obedient command that God has given us, that I be sincere when I do it and that I be honest when I do it. You see, we must reach the blood of Christ. And to be free or cleansed, it's done through that act of obedience. There's no magic in the water. It's our obedience to God. It's that faith that when we do what God's told us to do, that God will do what He said He would do for us. That's why Saul was told, Why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul did exactly that. He went down into that water. He came up a new creature, a new person. He's calling on God to do what God said that He would do. And so, brethren, we need to listen to our Master, our Lord, who tells us how to live our lives. <clears throat> Going back to a verse that we looked at earlier, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, "...but in vain they do worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If sincerity could save..." there would be no such thing as vain worship. There are a lot of people that are very sincere and honest in their worship to God. But being sincere and honest isn't enough. One might worship in all sincerity, but if they're following man's doctrines and worship... The Bible says, Jesus says, that their worship is vain. That's not me judging. That's Jesus judging. I'm just repeating what Jesus has said. How might one follow the doctrines of men? By doing things not found in the Word of God. By doing things which seem right to man. In Hebrews chapter 8, in verse 5, it says, "...who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown, showed to thee in the mount." <clears throat> Moses built a tabernacle according to God's direction. He followed the pattern of God's Word. The Hebrew writer applies that principle to us. We need to build all things according to God's divine pattern, to His plan. Can you imagine the children of Israel saying, Lord, it makes no difference how we build a tabernacle. Just as long as we're honest and sincere, it makes no difference what we put into the tabernacle as long as we build it and we're honest and sincere in doing so. Man, today comes along and says, Lord, 
it doesn't really matter what we do. Just as long as we're honest and sincere. You see, we have a pattern. It's the New Testament. It's God's Word. And we had better follow it. I don't want our worship to be vain. I don't want our Christian life to be vain. I want us to do what God's Word teaches. What is the pattern or form to become a child of God? It's what we looked at earlier in Romans chapter 6. It follows a pattern that Jesus gives us in obeying the Gospel. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, it says this, But God be thanked that we were the servants of sin, but we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Is honesty required? It certainly is. Is sincerity required? It certainly is. Obedience or compliance to the Gospel is also required. The question is, have you been cleansed by the blood of Christ? Don't trust what other people say. Study God's Word for yourself. Listen to what the Bible says we must do because it's the Word of God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And so knowing that, it's God's breed. So we either trust it or we don't. Paul wanted his brethren to be saved. He acknowledged that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We know the truth. You've heard the truth this morning. You have an opportunity to be buried with our Lord in baptism this morning. If you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.